Hello, thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this week's Not The Top 20 podcast. Ali Maxwell and George Ellick talking all things EFL. We're taking a slightly different stance this week, uh, mixing it up from the norm, a little less focus on individual matches and on the weekend that's just passed and taking the opportunity of the season's second international break to zoom out a little bit to have uh, more of an overview of all three EFL leagues. We're going to look specifically at the top and bottom at groups of teams who might maintain what they're doing, who might move up, might move down, uh, and anything that has piqued our interest. George, you've watched something like four, five, six EFL games in the last week, expecting to hear quite a lot of hot takes from you, uh, hot takes from you today. Yeah, it's more than I normally watch in a month. So, uh, no, of course not. Um, yeah, I've had a very good week watching it and uh, made a few opinions. We want to talk about the top of the championship. There's just three points between the top nine in that division. Uh, so it's astonishingly close after 11 games. Uh, let's just run through the top nine so we can know where we stand to get into it. West Brom on 22 points. Forest also 22 Preston on 21, along with Swansea. Leeds and Bristol City on 20 points. And Fulham, Sheffield Wednesday and QPR all on 19 points. I I think a starting point for this is, maybe five weeks ago, we were very convinced that Leeds were the real deal, the best team by quite some margin in the division and and champions elect. I suppose my question to you is, how much has that opinion taken a hit over the last few weeks they've only picked up I think it's seven points from their last six games not massively um, I mean there have to be questions asked about why Leeds haven't been able to build on that good start uh, the fact remains though they're in fifth place they're, they're two points off top spot and you can already point to four games where they have um, at their own you know um, at their own doing they've dropped points they shouldn't have dropped uh, the, the latest being uh, an unlucky um, defeat you have to on Saturday I, mean, I think everyone can agree with that well, I mean we, we don't know what would have happened if it had been 11 against 11 it's disrespectful to Millwall to assume that Leeds would have um, gone on to win the game but um, not only was it not a foul um, from Berardi um, but to judge I mean given how the rules are to this day where it has to be deemed a deliberate foul in order to be a red card and a penalty to, to call that deliberate mm. um, it was a big call and it's another game that has slightly derailed their season and it means they've, they've lost three games this season now they've only conceded seven goals and they've lost three games which is quite something um, and as I say in terms of general performance this clearly um, wasn't a particularly good one but they have performed well all season um, prior to this game that they, they beat a decent West Brom side 1-0 um, in a big result and, and you know, as I say they're only two points off the top spot so despite uh, you know understandable concerns around the fan base uh, from the current run of results I still think if they maintain if they keep playing the way they're playing they should be fine injury doubts um, are, are a problem Cooper's going to be out for, for six weeks I think um, they've had a couple more injuries you have to assume that the Berardi red card will be rescinded but knowing uh, how rarely that happens maybe it won't be um, but yeah I'm, I'm not too concerned about Leeds Okay so what about the teams above them and who we think could uh, sort of stay the course if you still think Leeds are are going to take one of the top two positions. I still agree with you there, and I, and I'm I I think like Leeds fans as well. Uh, it's not always easy to to say stringent in those opinions and beliefs in the face of um, some hysteria, shall we say, when things don't go their way and when results go against them. A lot of panicking 
Um, but I am, uh, yeah, I'm sharing your resolve, I suppose, in terms of leads. At the top two at the moment, West Brom and Forest, both on, on 22 points. Nottingham Forest have taken 14 points from their last six games. Uh, I thought that Lamucci's post-match interview summed things up after a 1-0 win at home to Brentford in which they successfully restricted Brentford and, and made them look more ordinary in terms of chance creation than, than we expect this Brentford to be. And that's a bit of a theme, isn't it? Lamucci said, so concentrated, so focused, so compact. Uh, and it's that compactness which is, uh, has really helped them on their way so far this season. It's probably not the style of play we expected when we saw a foreign manager coming in with the squad that was already there, uh, which didn't fit the way that Karanka wanted to play, didn't fit the way that O'Neill wanted to play. So we thought maybe a bit like Middlesbrough, maybe a bit more onus on, on expansive football and, and short passing, hasn't really been the case. Um, and, and, and so while not the style we expected from them, probably a style that's much more effective than the one uh, route that we thought they might go down. So look, the, the, the good... Stats, I suppose, keep coming for Forest when I tell you that they've played five of the, the six teams that join them in the top seven. Just been uh, week to week, it sort of gets more and more impressive from a team who early on we didn't expect this from. Definitely. I, I think the key stat, the one you just pulled out, is an important one that they've played good teams so far this season. Um, other teams up there, Swansea being one, where I'm still pretty concerned that their their list of fixtures so far has been um, beneficial to them and may put them in a slightly uh, incorrect position. Having said that with Forrest, still some concerns about their whether their dominance in games is reflected in their second place finish. Um, so we're second place at the table. Um, they have only beaten one team by more than a solitary goal. That was um, the 3-0 win against Birmingham. Um, and that's no bad thing. But I think if you look back to previous seasons, these teams who finish right at the top end of the table always have that sense that they are going into most games as, as the dominant force. Leeds certainly have it. I feel like West Brom have it. I feel like Fulham have it. Whereas Forrest, all credit to them are having to work very hard for their wins. And um, it says a lot about how Lamucci has them set up uh, in that they don't concede many goals. It's impressive they managed to hold on to their leads. So this isn't a negative thing to say. It's just if you had to rank, rank the teams in order um, in the championship so far this season, I wouldn't have Nottingham for a second, despite the fact they've got enough points to put them there. Yeah. I think that if the games continue to be as marginal as they are, they are going to end up drawing and losing games. But um, as I say, that's no slight on them. It's not me saying that they're not yeah, well, deserving what, of being second. What it's we're just, doing on today's pod is trying to look ahead and use what we've seen yeah. to be in some way predictive and that's a difficult thing because clearly we don't know what's going to happen and clearly some of the things we thought would happen at the start of the season haven't happened that that's I think that's the nature of it but it, it is worth pointing out it's not necessarily trying not to be negative with these teams but trying to look at, at reasons why um, things might cool down a little bit or or quite the opposite I mean Forrest have conceded um, with oh, no 6% of the shots they've conceded have gone in which uh, along with Swansea is the lowest by some distance in League One uh, sorry in the championship and that's the sort of stat that doesn't necessarily stay that way across the season it normally conversion rates move up to around the 10% mark so so while they have got an excellent goalkeeper in Bryce Samba while they are restricting the opposition uh, for the most part um, you know, maybe running a little bit hot. What about West Brom? Because they're top at the moment. Yeah, I mean, just a final point on Forest is that their next five games coming up are Wigan, Hull, Reading, Luton, Derby. Um, so 
if, if you know if, if they can exert that dominance that I want to see from them in those five games then I'll be on board the forest um, for back to the Premier League bandwagon what about baggies because it was it was a double game week in the championship and only one team Huddersfield who we'll talk about later won both of their games um, but I feel like West Brom came out of it well, A at the top of the table but B like with loads of, of, of credit, even though they lost that game on Tuesday night against Leeds, it, it feels like a brilliant week for them. And it feels like players like Pereira have just started to really capture both our eyes, but also the, the, the eyes of the league in general. And people are starting to realise that this West Brom team, I think more so than last year, are built for a automatic promotion challenge. I mean, that's the thing, is that last season it was all about Rodriguez and Gale. Everyone's saying these two guys are way too good for the championship. I think they've got players, again, who are too good for the championship. They're just not the high-profile names that we're used to. Um, we both slightly fell in love with Matias Pereira on, on Tuesday night at Leeds. Grady Diangana um, is doing great things. Romain Sawyers is a, a player we're going to talk about in a second who looks like he could do pretty much whatever he wants in this league. And I wonder if, A, this is a, a better blend, I guess, of talent across the pitch, of attacking threat across the pitch compared to last season where even though they scored nearly 50 goals between them, um, you knew where the, where, where the danger was going to come from from West Brom. And we've also mentioned early on in the season that it felt like Pereira, Diangana, Krivinovic were doing good things in small bursts. And I think given... The fact that this is a new side under a new manager, it was always going to take time for this to work. And we're now seeing that the the flitful nature of these players' form isn't going to be consistent. And actually, they are building something very, very impressive. Uh, so I have to agree with you that, that of any team this, this week at the top end who've really changed my way of, of thinking about them, it's definitely West Brom. West Brom are quietly building a, a group of players that we are really fond of as well, which might have gone slightly under the radar because Semi Ajayi, I feel like, is someone that we've spoken about a lot over the last 18 months. I'm sure regular listeners to the pod will recognise that. He has slotted in beautifully into that back line. Charlie Austin, of course, got his first goal uh, in the league on the weekend and looked very, very excited about it. And, you know, we do it. We spoke about whether we can just assume he's going to start scoring or whether maybe, you know, players decline a little bit and maybe he has. But it was a it was a fairly well taken goal, although through the goalkeeper's legs one on one. And uh, I, I guess maybe the answer is yes, we probably will expect him to start notching at a decent rate. Um, but as well as the, the, the new love of ours, Mateus Pereira, I think Romain Sawyers has probably been one who throughout the course of this podcast over the last four years has really been a favourite of ours. Reminds me a little bit of Conor Hurahan, Romain Sawyers. Uh, and there's a, a piece on The Athletic uh, website, our sponsors and partners, The Athletic, uh, written by Steve Maidley, who covers West Brom for The Athletic. And it, it, it was uh, released last Friday. It's a brilliant primer, basically, on Romain Sawyers, where he's at at the moment, but also the journey that he's taken because he's back at West Brom, uh, the team that basically took him through academy football uh, and then released him on a free in 2013. And, and George, in terms of the fact that we cover all three leagues and, you know, players catch our eye, we become fond of players, but it's so great to see players develop over the period of, of half a decade or more. Sawyers reminds me of Hurahan in that respect. He, we, we've watched him play at League One level for a Walsall team where he was sort of silky number 10, but his game has developed in the last few years to the point where now he is playing in a midfield two at West Brom 
um, often picking the ball up from the centre-backs and, and coming from deep. And he's just one of our favourite, sort of most classy players in the EFL. Yeah, my eyes lit up when I saw this on the Athletic app um, over the weekend. And he, and Jimmy Shan is, is the is the person that, that Steve goes to to speak, you know, gets the most quotes from about him. Jimmy Shan, who we all remember from his caretaker spell in charge of the club um, at the back end of last season, um, who was previously the academy boss. And, and he talks about when West Brom let Remain Sawyers leave six years ago. Shan says, you've got it um, within a couple of weeks. The message came back to the club. You've got it wrong here. This kid has got a Premier League brain. And I think anyone who's watched Sawyers will know exactly what whoever said that is talking about <laughs> because it's, it's not just his passing ability, which is great. It's not just his, um, uh, you know, his ball retention, which has always been fantastic. Uh, you can just see how much of a clever player he is. And Shan goes on in the article as well to say that he's the best progressive passer in, in, outside the Premier League. And I think that's completely fair enough. Uh, and he's so important to the way that this West Brom team play. We mentioned the the forward players in Diangana and and Phillips and and Pereira and having a player like um, like Sawyers in a more withdrawn role, which is not where he used to play, but in that kind of midfield too, sitting behind the ten, having someone who is so good and so adept at getting on the ball and giving it to, the, to dangerous players and crucially in dangerous areas as well, um, not someone who's just a, just a ball carrier, someone who has the understanding and the brain to get his team on the front foot. Um, quickly and dangerously is so important. Um, he's a player that you know I really, really like. Who I'd love to see get a chance in the Premier League. Um, you know, he's not a young player anymore. He's he's kind of I guess in the in the in the prime of his career at 27 years old. Um, but he's yeah. For anyone who, who who's enjoyed watching him play for for Walsall, Brentford, or West Brom, should definitely have a look up at this article because it's a cracker. Yeah, quotes from Graham Turner and uh, Dean Smith as well in in the piece. Turner talks about how. He has that lazy action or style and he looks laid back, but he does work for the team. And I think that probably laconic approach has has or did at stages hold him back and maybe help to encourage some sort of negative connotations about him um, in terms of not working hard for the team and that sort of thing. And, and that's why it's great for us to, you know, these days, A, to, to watch players a bit more closely, but also the, the beauty of having a bit more... Uh, underlying numbers and data on individual players these days is you can see that Sawyers actually does work perfectly hard for the team, does his defensive duties, but also, as you mentioned, in terms of moving the ball forward and, and finding teammates in front of him about as good as it gets. So we enjoyed watching him live on Tuesday night. We enjoyed reading that piece from Steve Maidley on The Athletic as well. And if you'd like to read that piece and many others as well um, from fantastic writers, fantastic football uh, writing stable that they're developing at The Athletic uh, and a piece from George coming later in the week, his debut on the site, which I'm very excited about. Hoping we can send in a, a headshot so we can get one of those nice black and white headshots for him as well. Uh, if you'd like to to check it out, then you can get a free trial using our URL. That is if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. Uh, that's the athletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. Then you'll get a free month's trial and then 50% off going forward. It comes out to about the price of a, a, a pint or an expensive coffee per month. So check out The Athletic today. Um, just to round off the, the teams at the top of the champ, um, I saw Bristol City twice this week. We were at the Brentford game and then I saw them beat Reading 1-0 at Ashton Gate uh, on Saturday with Quest. I, I wasn't blown away by them, to be honest. They're a team that... 
I like a lot because I really respect the way that they're developing as a club and I like the, the style and, and structure of the club, I suppose, the way that they go about their, their business, the way they go about growing. Um, and I do see them as a good team, a well-organised team, clearly a team that's difficult to beat. The fact they haven't lost since opening day against Leeds is testament to that. Do I see them as being top level, uh, good enough to dominate a, a game for 90 minutes, good enough to dominate a team, even a team down the bottom at home by two, three, four goals? That doesn't happen often enough for me. Um, whatever the reasoning is, and I have respectfully Johnson's tactical acumen uh, and for building this team that are difficult to beat, but I feel like as a team in possession, they lack a little bit. Uh, and, and maybe that's the same with Preston, George, who are the top scorers in the division, Remarkable, really, uh, when you consider that they went into the season and arguably still do not know who their main striker is. They've scored 23 goals from 112 shots, which is a conversion rate of 20.5%. Um, when I tell you that the next best is 14.8%, which is Charlton, I think that shows that, that you know they are scoring at a, a one in five rate that will drop at some point. I don't think it's even particularly analytical or numbersy to suggest that. Um, but 16 points from 18 at home, five points from their five games away. Whatever happens next, it's been a very impressive start from Preston and they are another team just tough to beat. Impressive from Preston. I mean, it's interesting that you you, you have those numbers because if you look at the expected goals table um, on Experimental 361 from Ben Mayhew, uh, Preston are fourth in the table with an with expected goals four at 15.3. So whilst obviously the shot ratio is um, probably unsustainable, it does suggest they are creating very good chances. So even if it's not in high volume, um, it, there's no cause for immediate concern. Unlike Bristol City, who are 23rd in that same table um, with an expected goals against of 17.7, which I think is the third or fourth worst in the division, um, which, suggest, which, which suggests there could be some serious issues coming up for, for Lee Johnson here. And I agree with you. Despite getting a very good point at Brentford, I wasn't particularly impressed with, with anyone really um, individually on the team. Uh, it was a good header from Vyman to, to get the point, but um, but no one really caught the eye. And, and as I say, even going forward, their, their expected goals is 13.5, so 4.5, um, kind of worse than what they have done so, so far. So maybe just a team uh, to be a little bit concerned about. And it's interesting that, you know, we're, we're always told that data doesn't tell you everything and that, you know, the eye test tells you more and it seems like they haven't really passed the eye test with either you or I. So maybe some concerns for Bristol City going forwards and with Preston, uh, yeah, a, a magnificent start and and hopefully they can keep keep, keep going. At Fulham, Sheffield Wednesday, QPR all on 19. We're, we're enjoying this QPR team, damn entertaining. Uh, still no clean sheets kept, but uh, four, four more goals scored on the weekend and, and on their day, they look like a team who actually do and can put away the poorer teams in the division. Uh, it's maybe against the better teams, like that game against West Brom where they come up a little bit short. Sheffield Wednesday, good start under Gary Monk. We're probably wait a few weeks until we know just how good they're going to be under him. But you saw Fulham in the flesh on, on Saturday. I don't want to be unfair on them to pick this game because they've been on very good form. But of course, it was a two-all draw against Charlton. They were behind twice in that game. So I wanted to ask what you'd seen from Fulham uh, on Saturday in terms of uh, a discussion about them being maybe challenging with your Leeds, your West Broms and your, your Forests at the top. Yeah, I didn't see anything to suggest they won't be, um, which might sound surprising given it was a two-all draw at home to to an unfancied Charlton team. But Charlton have had a brilliant start to the season and whilst they might be scoring at a rate that isn't sustainable, they are set up very, very well. They're, they're a good side and they 
had the better of the first half and it didn't feel I mean it's one of those games where if you're a Fulham fan watching you're probably going to think that you played terribly in the first half but I think it's all credit to Charlton and they didn't let Fulham play they pressed them high up the pitch they wouldn't let them have the ball um, they broke forward at pace uh, they they would just cause problems all game and Gallagher, Cullen and Prattley were brilliant in, in midfield at shutting down the threat of Kenny, Hansen and Arta I think they won that midfield battle early on um, Johnny Williams is very dangerous um, carrying the ball forward and they deserve their lead at half time the key bit the key thing here for me which I will take out of this game was Scott Parker because Parker changed the shape in the second half he made a double substitution at half time taking off um, Cessignon who had a, a, a very very poor first half you have to say and Harry Arter who I think took a knock but but was pretty anonymous in that first half and he brought on the two reeds, um, Bobby Cordova Reed and Harrison Reed, and he switched shape to what I can't really work out what it was. It was almost an asymmetric four at the back, where Brian tucked in into a back three alongside Reem and Mawson when they had the ball, with Reed uh, Harrison Reed kind of coming inside as almost like an inverted fullback off the right, where he would come in and take up space in the middle of the park, and then when they lost the ball, he would come back round in, into the onto the right hand channel, and they would come back into a four, which is. It was bizarre to see. I mean, mm. you'd often watch them with possession late in the second half, and there was just there was just a gap at right back where Reed was coming inside, and it did look very strange. I remember Cessignon doing that in one of the earlier games yeah. of the season. So it's obviously something that they they it, do purposefully, but it worked regularly really well because because Reed ended up being really important. I mean, both Reeds were fantastic when they came on. Harrison Reed did a, a really good job of, I guess, doing that Arter role of, of coming inside and getting the ball ticking very very early, playing quickly with it. And then Bobby Reed changed the game with his running um, and his, and he was very unlucky not to score. Dylan Phillips rescued a very good point in the end for Charlton um, and, and made a string of good saves, the, the, the best probably off, off, off Cordova Reed. Interesting um, to see Bobby De Cordova Reed um, playing more of a midfield role at times for this Fulham team, as well as the occasional period sort of just behind yeah. Mitro because that's where he used to play yeah, yeah. before that, that season where he you remember he rocked up for pre-season oh, I remember Steve top. yeah we were tipped off I think it was by Steve Freeth that um, I thought it was Mark or Mark O'Hare yeah. one of the two that both shrewd they tipped us off that Reed was playing up front for Bristol City in pre-season and then he scored 20 goals so um, let's crack on towards the bottom uh, of the championship Luton on 11 Wigan on 11 Middlesbrough on 10 Huddersfield 8 and then a bottom three of Reading on eight, Barnsley on six, and Stoke on five. I think we'll start with positives, I suppose. Stoke City's first win, um, and sad Nathan Jones turned into defiant Nathan Jones. He was, it was one of those ones, he was almost angry after the game because he finally had a chance to actually hit back at some things he has, he has sort of thought of as being quite unfairly said in the, in the press, in the media about him. You can understand that he's been a man under a lot of pressure with a lot of people saying a lot of things about him and the job that he's doing. Um, but it was top v bottom um, at Swansea and they and they beat them and finally they got what they deserved, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's the key part of it. This wasn't a lucky win. They were the better team on the day. Um, they went 1-0 down after 40 seconds and uh, instead of their heads dropping, which you'd have thought would happen given the fact they hadn't won a game yet this season, and hadn't won many in 2019. They kicked on and they, they dominated uh, large swathes of the game. They played until 
you know, very late in the game and got that late winner that they deserved. Nathan Jones criticising pundits who slagged him off. It was a bit of a shame not to see him doff his cap to, to us who've been <laughs> who've been sticking by him uh, through thick I saw one lad, George Ellick, talking yeah. about how unlucky we've been with the XG. That is a shame. He should have said that. Yeah, I know. Um, but next time, Nathan. But um, I mean, Federici came, was playing in goal, not Butland. Yeah. And I mean, he sort of parried one straight to Ayu as well. Yeah. Probably a little unlucky to point at him, but it was, you know, it was it's right at the beginning of the game, and you just thought, well, they're they're done, they're gone again, aren't they? Yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. Um, and Huddersfield as well, definitely building under the Cowleys. They won both games this week. Um, notable, I suppose, things from me is how much more compact and, and confident they look about the structure they're playing. Probably no surprise for us that, that Cowley has implemented that. Maybe a surprise at how quickly. Um, and the other thing, that lad, Dia Carby, who plays off the right, left footer, um, unbelievable jets on him and a, a dribbling style that doesn't always look that controlled but gets him past players that's for sure now the first let's say eight games of the season it was infuriating how often he got himself into good positions and then made the wrong decision whether it was a poor shot uh, or a bad pass or, or just losing the ball um, but the last few games that they've won he's been at the forefront and what's been notable is how much better his decision making and his execution's been in and around the box so if that continues we're looking at a, an absolute danger for opposition defences Bakuna seems to have settled Grant uh, as good as ever and Fraser Campbell playing quite an important role as well so Good positive vibes at Huddersfield. They're now out of the relegation zone, and I and without wanting to go too far, you know, it would be a surprise to see them get sucked right back in, um, like they were at the start of the campaign. Um, Barnsley, possibly the least compact team I've ever seen. Maybe one of the worst defensive teams we've seen in the Championship, um, based on what we've seen certainly in the last few weeks. That opening day win against Fulham seems an awfully long way away, and everything looks very very muddled. I I, I would say at this stage that I'm really concerned about them um, compared to some of the teams around them not necessarily sure if it's clear that they will start rise I'm sure they might pick up a few more results but uh, I'm very concerned about them in general yeah um, I think I think they're the looking at the table now they're, they're the team I'd be the most confident about going down sadly and that's not something I thought I would say before the season because uh, I really like the way that they do business and I really like the manager uh, but it's a team that is really lacking a bit of nous. I mean, it is such a young team and it would, it would not surprise me at all if you take the 11 that they send out every week and you have a look at where their careers are in five or six years, they will be playing at a higher level than this. But um, it's just obvious. I mean, everyone who saw the Brentford game on TV last Sunday um, would have seen just the exuberance of youth throughout. And, and that just seems to be the case every game um, where even here, you know, they... they, they claw the game back one all against Preston at Preston and, and then proceed to concede four afterwards um, it, it's impossible to really see how they're going to tighten up this defence with the personnel they've got at the club at the moment quite concerned about Middlesbrough after what we saw on Friday yep. night uh, against Birmingham uh, the, the the performance was so much worse than the 2-1 scoreline it's not even funny I know that the Borough fans were very very concerned um, just looked <laughs> Like they like they had no idea basically how to defend a Birmingham side that you know have had a couple of good days this season but have also chucked in a couple of stinkers. They made them look like Brazil um, and going forward could barely reach their front three who who, who almost didn't touch the ball um, and yeah. yet almost came away with a point. But there were two big alarm bells in my opinion about this game. The first and, that, and both of them probably stem from Woodgate and, and Robbie Keane 
um, where the first was in the first half. Birmingham played a really high line and dominated possession in Middlesbrough's half. Not unsurprising, um, given that they're, that they're a home team, given that Clotet um, has in the past liked possession-based football, even if we haven't seen that much this season. And you've got Britta Sombolonga, who's probably one of the fastest strikers in the league. You've got Marcus Brown, who's absolute gas, and Tavernier, the other side. Three guys who are rapid, playing against the high line, and not once. Not once did we see them try and turn that back four, try and turn the defence and try and get them running in on goal. It was all, as soon as they got the ball, it was intricate passing or attempted intricate passing. They only completed 94 passes in the first half. Um, so to, to not to not work out that that was the way to try and get themselves a, a kind of a grip on the game was bizarre. And then in the second half, after we saw very little of this playing at the back um, that we've heard Jonathan Woodgate wants to implement, we suddenly saw them trying to do it, which means that half-time, Woodgate must have said, like, lads, let's do that. And they were, like, abysmal at it. You'd see Randolph roll it out to, to the right-back or to the left-back or to the, or to the um, centre mid- uh, uh, defenders. And there would be three passes, then panic, normally either losing possession or launched out for a throw. And that happened four or five times. I, I, it doesn't look to me like Woodgate has much of an understanding about how to adapting games to maximise the effect and he's he's living and dying by this um, promise he made to change the style of football and I would say that the style of football is worse because they are appalling Um, and you know at least when you've got Tony Pulis not conceding many goals scoring a few of them but it's not very easy on the eye I'd much rather that than not easy on the eye conceding goals and not scoring many so um, yeah concerns. Got to move on fairly swiftly, otherwise we're going to run out of time for League One, League Two. But Luton and Wigan still in that group as well. Um, we've got to mention that if Simon Sluger continues to perform in the manner that he's performing in that Luton goal, then they are someone I'm concerned about in their general play. Club record uh, fee. Well, exactly. In, in their general play and general balance of play in their games, there's, you know, there's nothing horrendous going on. It's just uh, they, they seem to start 1-0 down, essentially, at this stage. Uh, and Wigan, uh, yeah, I'm pretty concerned about Wigan. I think they have, have not shown yet this season uh, any semblance of, of thinking they can win even a point away from home, um, which means, again, they're hugely reliant on their home form. And I, I just don't see them as being uh, a better side, necessarily, than they were last season, when, of course, they really fell away and... and almost got relegated so I'm concerned for, for, for Wigan George the midsection Charlton Cardiff Birmingham Derby Blackburn Millwall Hull and Brentford out of those teams pick one for me that you think might move up into the top tier and one team that you'd be concerned about dropping potentially into the bottom five or six I mean no shock I think it'll be moving up um, it's Brentford and then going down I could see I could see Derby um, and Birmingham I mean, it was it was a much improved performance from Birmingham. Birmingham have to work out what they're doing because they are the Jekyll and Hyde team of, of the season so far. When they're good, they look great. Um, they've got individual quality in abundance. When they're bad, they basically don't turn up. So mm. I, could, I guess you could almost see them going either way. I was going to say, the, the two times we've had lots of messages from optimistic Birmingham fans is after they've beaten teams who have put in some of the worst displays we've ever seen so and you know they've chucked a couple of those in there as well so we want to see them a bit more consistent against the good teams um i guess my picks for this are potentially millwall i'd be worried about that's partly because we don't know who they're going to appoint after neil harris left look we talked about it on sky on friday night their record under harris was desperately poor in the last 30 league games 
they'd only scored 23 goals uh, and they'd only picked up 27 points, which is basically relegation form. Um, but my concern is who comes in and how quickly they're able to turn a, a team with a fairly specific uh, style and objectives, I suppose, in games and, and the way that they were set up to pick up points, which, don't get me wrong, wasn't working that well. But I'd be concerned about the, the amount of quality potentially in the squad if someone comes in with a vastly different um, uh, philosophy, I suppose, or, or style of play. So that's one to watch. In terms of going up into the top section, I mean, Charlton have sort of been there this season already and, and I think they're probably around where I expect them to be from now on, very competitive in every game. I, I'll pick Cardiff, which feels like a bit of a cop-out. Haven't necessarily been that impressed with them this season, given that they're a team that's just come down from the Premier League. But with Warnock there, with that home form, um, they do strike me as a team that, that could at least move up from where they are right now. Uh, League One's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Because, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, two teams have played nine, three have played 12, uh, and everyone else is in between. So the actual table is, is kind of not quite in the right order. Um, but the top tier is just one team. Uh, it's Ipswich, basically. Um, they're on 27 points. It's their best ever start to a league campaign. They've conceded five in 11, two in their last eight. Um, uh, you know, if there ever has been a case of a relegation being good for a team and breathing new life into the, the club, this is this is it. Um, is it them and, 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 and then the field? Who would you take if I offered you Ipswich to win the title or the other 22 teams in the league? It's a very good question. Um, yeah, I think I probably would take Ipswich. I, I I don't think they're gonna blast everyone out of the water. Still, I mean, Saturday was another example of a a very very tight game um, where they did miss a penalty, of course, um, but they snuck past a Fleetwood team who had their chances to to get into the game and take something from it. Um, they've only conceded five goals this season. I don't think that defensively they are that good. I mean, they are definitely you know elite in league one standards but that's not going to continue um so i probably would side with ipswich just about um but i, I don't think this is going to be a procession from here on in i think there are enough good teams beneath them i mean wickham this isn't lucky i'm interested to hear you say that because i was going to ask you about the teams beneath them uh, we're talking a wickham on 23 fleetwood coventry blackpool on 20 sunderland 19 Posh and Bristol Rovers on 18. I'm going to stop just before we get to Oxford just to wind you up a little bit. But um, out enough. of that bat, you said I think there are some good teams below them. When I was looking at it earlier, with respect to where these teams are at the moment, I'm talking about top two challenging teams. And I'm wondering which one of those is, is the one. So enlighten me. I think, I think Wickham, I mean, this isn't a fluke from Wickham. That's the important thing to say here. Just because they're a smaller club who didn't expect to be up there. Um, all the data points to them being a very, very good team. They absolutely blast everyone out of the water in terms of XG going forward. Uh, 21.9. Um, and that's only... Um, and they've scored 21 goals. So mm. it's not... This isn't lucky that they've scored their 21 goals. Uh, their home form is brilliant. They are, I think, there to stay. Fleetwood showed again on Saturday that they're not far off it. They went toe-to-toe with Ipswich and, and came out worse off, but, but proved themselves as being, um, I guess, not a match for them, but a, a very good team who are there on merit. Um, I am not particularly keen on, as as I've said before, on this Coventry team who finally came unstuck um, and were demolished 4-0 by, by Rotherham um, after some defensive howlers. Uh, Blackpool, a similar story, I guess, where I don't think they're quite at that level. Sunderland could always click into business. You yeah. never really know when it's going to happen. I, I wouldn't. Well, I still think they're the most likely, literally just because I think if they make a managerial change, 
of course it depends Definitely. on who it is but let's Definitely. say they make a, a half decent one they, they have to be better than this yeah they haven't kept a clean sheet yet this season if jack ross's style is based on winning narrow games which it appears to be then that, that's going to be very hard for them to do when they concede a goal every single game um desperately disappointing it's, it's, but it's worth pointing out given you know how much i banged the drum last season about them overperforming data wise they're fine this season so yeah. so it wouldn't be a surprise to see them up there i think the style of play is is just boring and i think sometimes things um break at clubs between managers and fans and it seems like that's happened there then of course peterborough who if you take out a disappointing couple of results at the start of the season are right up there um so if ipswich were to go through a little bit of a, a struggle a bit of a blip which they will do at some stage um i'm sure peterborough are a team who will continue picking up points at a rate that can get them in amongst it um and with bristol rovers it would be a shock um to see them get up there they have they have 18 points, having scored 14 goals and conceded 12, which is absolutely extraordinary. So, yeah, good on them. Yeah, quite strong uh, Shrewsbury, what was it, 17-18 vibes from them, maybe. Um, but very difficult to sustain when you're not scoring very many. In the middle uh, in the middle group, Oxford on 16, Donny on 16 with a few games in hand. Uh, Lincoln on 16 as well, having just got their first win under Appleton. Shrewsbury, 16. Rotherham on 15, Burton on 15, Gillingham on 13. I want to start with an apology to Rotherham fans. Um, I'm not sure how many Quest appearances I've made now, but that was the first time I got a player's name wrong and it was really embarrassing. Um, I called Michael Smith their massive target man, Matt Smith, yeah. who, as we know, target man for uh, for a team in the league above. So um, my apologies for that because... Hopefully. Do you get any feedback? People being like, "Yeah, three tweets." Yeah, fair, completely fair enough. Um, because you even said it was the tale of two mats. I framed it as the mat show, didn't I? Yeah, so I looked a bit stupid there. Hopefully, guys, if you listen to the pod, you know that I do know almost all of the players' names in the EFL. Maybe not every single one, uh, and that was just mixing up my target men called Smith. But um, uh, you know, a good win against Coventry. Uh, albeit gifted four goals really but good timing that for Paul Warren in terms of that that group that I just mentioned maybe an Oxford or a Lincoln or a Burton anyone going to sort of crash the, the, the party above them everyone's still very much in touch I mean, all, all I'll say is with Oxford I know that the fans players I mean maybe not the fans as much but people at the club are, are very much doing this as a promotion campaign season nice like you know in terms of the squad that they've assembled in terms of the brief that's been given to Carl Robinson and the aim is promotion and um, I think they'd be disappointed not to be featuring that in that battle for the top six come the end of the season whether or not that means they will do it um, is, is another um, story but recent performances show that they could be up there um, Doncaster uh, you, you could still see them doing it massive result for Michael Appleton for Lincoln um, Rotherham is a is a difficult one because I still think they have every single um, everything you need basically to, to launch a challenge but they have been so disappointing on occasions this season similar with Burton I'm surprised to see them in 14th at the moment um, just one place above Gillingham who I, and I view those two teams on like different universes um, so yeah I think there's a few teams in there it is still very early on um, if, if not an embryo anymore I don't know what you can call it in, in the meantime but maybe it's a baby table not embryonic but it's a yeah a, a kid table and and it doesn't take much for any of those teams Oxford Doncaster Lincoln Shrewsbury Rotherham Burton uh, 
two, three wins in a row and, mm. they're, and they're in that top six. In the bottom group of, of the League One toddler table, uh, we start with Portsmouth. It's just aged two years in about, <laughs> in about 10 seconds. <laughs> um, you can tell neither of us have children. Um, look, uh, in the <laughs> at this stage, Portsmouth are in this group. Um, they've only got 12 points, uh, but they've only played nine games. So they've got one, two, three games in hand on a lot of teams in the division. Certainly things to be concerned about. That win against Doncaster is a massive three points for them. I don't think anyone who was at the game or watched the game um, thinks they necessarily deserved to win the match, but uh, let's call it a, a free or a lucky three points that those performances definitely need to to pick up if they're to get to where they want to be uh, towards the very top group of this table. Uh, they're on 12 with MK Dons, so you have to be fairly concerned about um, the results are terrible. Four defeats in a row. The uh, underlying performance data is terrible basically only better than Southend and Bolton at this stage um, the injury crisis is there again just like last season around the same time and uh, certainly that you know there will be some murmurs about about Tisdale it's it's one of those ones where people will say well he's clearly a good league two manager but maybe he's hit his ceiling and you know that that might be harsh but the matter is they can't keep losing every game and that performance against Burton was maybe the worst of the lot so far. Um, the, the rest, George, Accrington on 11, Rochdale 10, Tranmere 9, Wimbledon 6 after their first win of the season, Southend 4, Bolton minus 9. I feel like we've got some poor teams in this division. That's starting to become quite clear, uh, but obviously only three teams going down and Bolton basically mission impossible to stay up. We always talk about how bad teams in League 2 survive year on year because there are only two relegation spots. So now we're going to have a case because there are effectively two relegation spots here. I mean, I'm I'm all but relegating Bolton, I'm afraid it would take. I mean, hope they, worth noting they could still be docked further exactly, points exactly. for various misdemeanors. And as you say, there are so many poor teams down the bottom of, of, of the table at the moment. Um you have to expect some will improve, some will probably come down. Um where again next season it's going to be there are going to be teams who normally would, would get relegated who, who stay up, which is interesting because, I mean, Southend are desperate. AFC Wimbledon, um, a, a, again, a good win on Saturday, but wow, do they need that because it's been very, very poor. Rochdale, I had my rant last week on the, on, on the betting show and they are, a, yeah, absolutely abysmal. Tranmere, if you take out their their win against, um, against Bolton early on in the season, are shocking. Um, I mean, Accrington played very well, very well on Saturday. There'd be a team you can probably see getting out of it, but and MK Dons have just fallen off a cliff recently. Um, so it's going to be a pretty nasty battle down there between some pretty poor teams. And as I've alluded to, because it's an early table, we can probably expect a couple more um, that we've already discussed to go on, on bad runs and end up down there. So um, yeah, League One is 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 the ugly one, I think. Uh, this uh, in in eighteen nineteen nineteen eighteen. Wow, the ugly middle child, League One. Um, what about the the? I was going to say the youngest, but I'm not sure if that really works with this analogy. The the lowest division that we cover. There we go. Which is League Two uh, is also very tight at the top, just like the Championship. You've got Forest Green, who hit the summit on the weekend for the first time this season. You've got Exeter and Newport and Crew one point behind them on 23. Cheltenham on 22. Bradford, 21. Swindon, 20. And I'll just include Colchester there on 19, because they're a team in good form at the moment. If I'm honest, George, and sometimes it's it's all right to say it, I don't really know at the top of League 2. Um, 
maybe it's a reflection of the fact this is League Two and it's just difficult for teams to be uber consistent and to, to reach a really high level. But you can you, you can say good things about all of those teams, but you can certainly pick holes in almost all of them as well. Yeah, I mean, Forest Green, let, let's start on Forest Green, where um, uh, the XG tables I mentioned from Ben Mayhew on Experimental 361 um, has Forest Green 23rd in League Two. Um, they Their expected goals against is 18.7, which is high. Um, you know, even And they've only conceded in, six. And they've only conceded six. So something... Very weird is going on there. I'm, I'm glad that um, I'm glad that Forest Green fans aren't as as vociferous and or as um, populous and as populous as Sunderland fans. Because if this carries on, uh, I can see myself getting quite um, not frosty with them, but um, but just saying that maybe lads, this isn't going to last for too long because it's absolutely extraordinary. Um, so they are a team I can't really work out at the moment. And it's, the interesting thing with them is is the last two performances and results have been massive change from the rest of the season previously they were picking up points um, on the road nil nil winning one nil games marginally and suddenly they've come out and scored seven goals in two games against Salford and Crawley two teams who are, are not bad by any means and conceded just the one goal so is there possibly a way that the you know the lucky run of results early on in the season has has changed the mentality and changed the way that this team is playing in order to improve possibly we'll see in the next few few games but um yeah caution for forest green fans if there are any listening um and then beyond that i think exeter and newport no surprise to see newport doing what they're doing again those because, two look quite robust don't yeah they, i think i think it's hard to, to to see that um dipping massively in really good taylor a uh, really good taylor really good interview with matt taylor mm-hmm. um every time i see him talking he impresses me more and more um he talks about how they're very defensively well set up and they need to be, be-, be better going forward um, he's talking about a team who scored 17 goals in, in 12 games. So standards are set high. They're second in the league. I don't think they're going to be going anywhere very soon. And with Newport, it's just the same old story really, isn't it? Um, they, uh, un- under under um, Mike Flynn, they're going to keep doing what they're doing. And hopefully this time they don't have a cup run to, to derail um, the uh, the promotion push. Yeah, six goals scored in the last 15 minutes of games. Zero goals conceded for uh, for Newport, which... Uh, won't be a surprise to anyone who's who's watched them closely over the last few years. I should say that six isn't the most that a team in League Two has scored, um, but zero is certainly the the least, the fewest um, that anyone has conceded in the last period of game. So a real strength of theirs. Let's go down to the bottom because there's a really swollen uh, middle section. Um, so at the bottom of the league, and remember, of course, only one team down from League Two this season. Uh, Oldham are on 11 points, below them Scunthorpe and Morecambe on 7 and Stevenage on 5. Um, Scunthorpe, you talked about a lot in the opening weeks of the season, a little stoky in a way. Um, that On balance of play in the majority of their games, it was quite confusing as to how many they were actually losing rather than drawing or even winning some of them. But just starting to pick up a few more points in the last few weeks. Um, so I guess a Morecambe and a Stevenage is who you start with. And I mean, one of them's going to stay up, but at, at this early juncture, you wouldn't say either of them particularly deserve to. They're, they're both pretty desperate um, League Two teams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess if you're if you're looking at the battle of the dugouts, if it's going to be Bentley against Sampson, um, you know, there's there's only one winner in, in my view. Um, so if I was to, to side with one of them to, to, to stay up, it would probably be more come on the back of that. 
Having said that, there does look to be more quality. I mean, not much quality, but more quality in this Stevenage team. Remember that they, they did finish just outside the playoffs last season with, mm-hmm. a, with a, a largely similar squad. Um, so it's going to be... I'm, I'm quite looking forward to this relegation battle in League 2. It's not often you say that. When it, when it is just going to be one goes down from a, from a pile of five... Um, it's going to be pretty nasty and pretty what messy. What are you looking forward to about this? Just what the, the sort of novelty of it? All. Yeah, I think so. It's just it's a hark back to the old days, where it's just one one goes down. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, there are a few teams higher up you can see being sucked into it. Um, I guess uh, Carlisle being one, Oldham I still think aren't, aren't out of the woods yet. Um, but yeah, and it's too early to to say it's going to be between those two because Scunthorpe also have have to keep picking up points as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's pretty grim and I'm all for it. What about the middle section that I touched on? Um, it, it might surprise some people who don't track the XG as closely as us that certainly in the last few weeks, Cambridge have been looking very good on that front. Uh, but they're very much uh, just, uh, are they in the top half of the table? Just about. Um, they're on 16 points with Plymouth and Crawley, who we spoke about a lot early in the season, but have slowed down somewhat. Port Vale quietly picking up points. Grimsby as well. Uh, on 17 and 18 respectively um, Macclesfield doing a lot better than we thought they would certainly at the start of the season uh, more bad news for the players in terms of not being paid uh, on time again uh, and it's absolutely remarkable that they continue to perform uh, to be quite honest um, uh, in, in that situation Salford and, and Orient the two promoted teams from League 2 last season neither of them look like particularly good League 2 teams I think it's fair to say but both Showing just about enough, I think, that I don't think either will be sucked into a relegation battle, both getting really good away wins uh, on the weekend. So um, not necessarily any standout teams in League Two. And I guess from us, the message is looking forward to revisiting this in, in 12 games time when we've had, or 11 games time when we're halfway through yeah, the season. If quite it, an intriguing know, league. If League One's the ugly one, I think this is quite, uh, basically looking down the list, down to Northampton in, in 14th, possibly even Walsall in 15th. I think you can make a case for any of them having lofty ambitions. Um, they've all shown in patches this season that they're good teams and they've got progressive managers. That's 15 teams fitting into seven. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. Maybe if it is between Morecambe and Stevenage to go down, maybe Jim Bentley should cut off uh, Sampson's hair because, uh, as we know, that, that will reduce his strength and that could be the thing to make the difference. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in this week. Um, this has been a, a, a true delight, actually. Uh, mixing up a little bit, a little less focus on individual games, a little more focus on the bigger picture. Um, we've waited to this stage to do something like this because, of course, in the first you know 10 games or so, you're, you're looking at big fluctuations week to week and uh, you can look a little bit silly if you make very strong opinions. So hopefully these mild or medium spice opinions have, uh, have helped you get through your Monday evening or your Tuesday whenever you listen. Um, we appreciate you listening and we would appreciate you sharing this podcast on Twitter, uh, on the group chat, on whatever platform you'd like. Uh, it's always good for us to, to spread the word. So help us out if you can uh, and we'll be back again at the end of the week with the NTT20 betting show. So join us for that on Thursday. 